Welcome to X-Ray. I'm Bonin Wilson, and I, to be honest, I just want to say, God damn it, thank you so much for joining us to listen to our dumb show. Wow, this is incredible, guys. So, I'm not... I'm not sure if you guys have been listening, Bone but wow, Wilson. it's it's incredible. There's supposed to be a drug name. You betrayed our special I was, trust. I was going to say something stupid, which is that sometimes we say <laughs> knuckle bones or bones or bony related things so often while we're like getting set up for these things or like naming episodes, writing blurbs, whatever. Uh, that the Allison Chain song "Them Bones" mm. gets stuck in my head, and every time someone says a, an earnest thing about our real show that we should be serious about, I want to go big old pile of little bones, <laughs> and, and that, that isn't helpful to anyone. And I, I mean, just want to go, wow. But when oh, you, wow. but when you come at me with Bone and Wilson, I'm like, oh baby, I feel so alone. I just honestly, I just wanted to start off the show uh, and just kind of, you know, start it with something that I just, I really enjoy. And that's Owen Wilson as a dog, Um, (laughs) especially because when I was re-listening to episode one, we led up to talking about uh, Sir Otis, who we will be talking about in just a little bit. And we were talking about how his nose was really crooked. And I immediately went to Vin Diesel. And you were like, no, 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 no. And I was like, Owen Wilson. Because that <laughs> motherfucker's got a crooked ass nose. So <laughs> so Owen Wilson is just, ever since recording that episode, just constantly. It just the, wow, just, that is just in my brain. Wow. wow. <laughs> does, does Vin Diesel have a particularly crooked nose? I think he just has a fat nose. Yeah, I think so. I gotta be honest with you, I don't think my eyes have ever made it all the way up to the nose. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at his tits. You know, yeah. I didn't have a clear image for what Otis looked like when I when I introduced him as a character, but when you said Owen Wilson, it was bam, spot yeah. on, that's who this boy is. Yeah. You saying like, oh yeah, actually Otis is Owen Wilson. I was like, I've been conceiving of Galtier as like weird medieval Matthew McConaughey. And so it's very funny that we picked like two like dirty blonde, like kind of older, (laughs) sexy, but funny actor guys. Like, like, that's a weird vibe to be like, that's what the nobles in this place look like. Wait, Owen Wilson Wilson is sexy? I think he's hot, right? Owen Wilson could get it. So uh, (laughs) I think he's commonly accepted as hot. Yeah. Uh, Luke Wilson, he's not as good but uh you know what's funny is i disagree i'm much more of a luke wilson really yeah wow i oh wow i think you mean that one was (laughs) that was you you that was your real fucking voice just now that that happened (laughs) you're manifesting he's become Wilson. The conjunction gonna, of the spheres. The worlds have blended together. <laughs> the next time, I, I'm just gonna. I, one day, I'm just gonna show up with a broken nose, and you guys will be like, "Really? You're it's you're really, really going that far uh, down the down the rabbit hole?" Okay, let's let's really talk about you what this show tell is. Tell people what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so Max, what is this show? Yeah, this is X-ray, where we are gonna be looking at knuckle bones in a different light. So we're going to be talking about episodes one through three. Matt, could you remind me what episodes one through three, their titles are? Episode one, titled, What is a Gross Swayze? Correct. Episode two, you know it, you'll love it. 1-800-Cauldron-Call. 
And of course, episode three, my favorite episode title that we've written thus far. <clears throat> it's in all caps, so I have to push back the microphone briefly. We got a quest! <laughs> we do. Uh, we did, in fact, get a quest that, in episode was that, three. Was that too loud? That was that quite was aggressive, but, you know, Perfect. I appreciate your energy. Uh, I'm sure that your uh, partner is thrilled at that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that I've terrified 100% of my uh, household inhabitants. By <laughs> It'll be all right. They'll be all right. Well, thank you for enlightening us on the three names of the first three episodes of our podcast. Theoretically, you will have listened to those first three episodes, hopefully, because we plan on releasing this episode with episode four. And if you haven't, what a Spoiler. weird place to start. Yeah, I mean it's totally fine if you want to if you want to completely skip the first three episodes. Our uh, our I'm audio go wasn't on, great. I'm gonna go on record as like the weird uh, you know Buzzfeed hipster version where I'm like, um, actually the correct listening order is to start with the recap of episodes <laughs> one through three, then episode two, then episode nine. Like fuck it, just jump. <laughs> Get to where it gets saucy. Yeah, perfectly reasonable. So I would say off the bat. Just want to say, sound quality for the first, I think, two episodes were kind of not as great just because we were all getting used to it. The biggest factor in our in the quality of the first couple of episodes was definitely stage fright for me. I can't speak for you guys, but that's what got me. I didn't know how to be myself be when... On. Yeah, I didn't know how to be on. I mean, I get that. I still don't. It sounds like the spoken preamble that's like leading into a song in like oh. a cool hit musical. Like, man, yeah. I just, I didn't know how to be somebody. Be yeah, somebody. You know how to be somebody. Be, be, I just be didn't know somebody. how to be somebody. Be somebody. Oh, somebody. Like, be somebody. <laughs> I can't wait. You don't need to be that, somebody. The you like, just need to be yourself. I want it to be like a full reimagining. This is actually for our D&D reimagining of the <laughs> hit film Teen Witch. Um, and uh, I think that's Now, when you be... say hit film... Is that is that a mashup between Sabrina the Teenage Witch and uh, Teen Wolf? Teen Wolf, yes. <laughs> oh, my. You, you okay. know, that is some shit that I would watch. Um, I, would... I will say... TM, 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 TM. That's our idea. Don't steal it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, these are two franchises that are independently owned. Yeah, don't come uh, at us, are, fucking we, Paramount. Listen, <laughs> uh, we are kids of the 90s. We remember Amalgam Comics. We know that universes can be pulled together. That I'm looking at three blank faces. Apparently I, nobody no, I remembers wanna, I Amalgam Comics. I just know where you're going with this. You know, uh, like, I'm just saying, So like, anyways, that's the name of the first three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, for the first time ever, Nick's keeping us on the rails. Incredible. I didn't think that was possible. So, uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about the first three episodes. So thank you so far for listening to us kind of ramble about this. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be offering short recaps for episodes one, two, and three. And then we're just going to talk about it as a big old chunk. We're going to try and have these episodes and episodes like them in the future be... Uh, milestone based so we're not going to be doing every three episodes we're not going to be doing every one episode we may have like a chunk of 10 episodes that maybe it might be a long dungeon or something like that we just want to do this when it kind of makes sense within the story and especially considering that we have uh, released our first three episodes in one chunk 
it makes sense for us to have our first episode be about the first three episodes. Yeah, I mean, you, we yeah. went from nothing to having a quest. That's that's the most significant thing that could happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, and I think we all also agreed. It's nice to do this show and not have to be the like, oh man, we can't talk about that thing that happens yeah. real soon. It's like, <laughs> no, we want to. We're gonna wait till after the thing happens, right? We want to <laughs> yeah, talk about the absolutely. fucking thing. Yeah, because uh, that's what the fans want to do, right? That's what everybody wants to do. Absolutely. You want to you want to be able to I, I feel like some of the most fun stuff about properties that I've watched with people, be it Game of Thrones before it, I it, we understand. I'll, I'm going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it comes to like, do you guys remember when the Harry Potter books came out and people were reading them in like a day and then they could just like talk? That was maybe me. maybe. Yes. I, I was in like middle Hello. school when that happened. Hello, my so. name is Mikey and I was that kid who went yeah. to the midnight releases and by, you know, the afternoon of the next day was like ready to talk about what happened yeah. in the book. Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of things where it, it makes more sense to be able to talk about things in chunks than one at a time. Otherwise it's just constant edging, which for some people, <laughs> super, super great. Uh, listen, that, listen, we Real are real wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Like that is how some people operate. So. Look, some podcasts, they want, they're all about this edging stuff. Not this is Hey, we're here to bone. You know what I mean? We, we are, are here, here, we're here to, to bone. bone. Absolutely. So with that said, <laughs> I am going to start off with episode one's recap, and then I will move to Mikey for episode two's recap, and then we will move to Matt for episode three's recap. Welcome to Arbalea, episode one of Knucklebones, where the sound quality is rough, Owen Wilson is buff, and Babatha and Gaultier are horny as fuck. We join the gang after they have finished a mission and decided to take a rest at a roadhouse on the road to Madrigal. After a bit of an awkward interaction between four people who are not professional actors in any sense, Nick introduces Otis Thatherton, an Oath Knight who is in need of help. Gaultier offers the group to aid Sir Otis in his problem, and then immediately tries to woo the barmaid. Babatha follows that scene up by trying to put the moves on a man seven times her size. <laughs> we learn that Otis and his best friend Sir Tambo, who the status of their relationship is unknown, Sexy. We're ambushed by a small group of goblins. Florida is roundly insulted, and our first true combat <laughs> of the campaign begins while we avenge the death of Sir Tembo. We are aided in this fight by three mysterious, shadowy, roguish figures who disappeared as quickly as they swooped in, only for a large meteor to split apart in the sky and a giant shard to crash right on top of Sir Otis's wagon, theoretically blowing the shit up out of Sir Tembo. Rest in peace. Ooh, R.I.P. After regaining our bearings and checking out the presumably magical shard in a in the crater, a figure surrounded by a purple inky ether appears and lunges at our boy Gaultier with his metal claws and incorporeally passes right through him. Are the PCs on drugs? Who are these roguish folks and why the fuck did they help us? What the hell is that rock? It's probably drugs. It's probably drugs. Crack rock. What a reveal that would be if Nick took us on like a 50 episode narrative journey and then was like, you wake up suddenly in the opium <laughs> den where your characters went to sleep. It's actually 1882 in regular ass of you the world. You guys are all like, licking this rock. You guys no, are no, in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that was episode one 
let's move on to episode two and we will keep going. So episode two found the crew in a bit of a lurch. A massive gem, a cold crater, and a terrifying apparition has left even Auntie Babs perplexed. After some back and forth with Sorotis, the witches decide to attempt a 1-800-Cauldron-Call with Kriechna, a fellow witch from their coven. While the connection is made, Kriechna proves to be less than helpful, and our DM proves to be less than benevolent, and Babitha's favorite little smelting cauldron is destroyed, along with her dreams of creating the mobile cauldron call network. I guess we won't be calling Kriechna back. On the road, the group encounters a second apparition, which either could not or would not interact with them. Even more desperate for answers, they pressed on to Don's Ma, the last town outside the walls of Madrigal and Liza's old stomping grounds. Startled to find the town abandoned save for a spattering of echoes, Liza leads the group to the Slish and Slash, where we find the proprietor, Shevlin, deep in despair and drink. It seems that the entire town, save him, has left after the appearance of what he believes to be the echoes of the dead. Thank you, Mikey, for your synopsis of episode two we're going to be moving on to sir matthew for episode three. Oh, i'm so fancy <laughs> now uh episode three we got a quest we open up episode three still in slish and slash with shevelin um, our party spoke with a recently sobered shevelin about echoes in and around madrigal which in many ways left us with left us with more questions than answers as he suggested the abyss was overfilled with souls found wanting uh, we then made our way to the inner city where we met with the king and received our very first quest and a brief history lesson as we toured through the sort of statue garden moving into uh, the capital. We closed the episode ready to strike out and do that thing that we ostensibly do. Adventure. Action. Adventure. Intrigue. Passion. Desire. Giving. And receiving. Edging. No, one of the things in episode three that happened that was actually like one of my favorite things that happened was what happened with the king's advisor, Corvin. Um, he's mm. kind of this shadowy, enigmatic Would you, would you say elf. he was a super pale half-elf in a cloak of huge black feathers who's really into resonance? Yes. I would <laughs> like that verbatim, is... that's what I would describe him as. Yeah, That is 100% of what I wrote down. <laughs> Wait, are we going to cast Sir Corvin as Natalie Portman? I've got a couple different ideas for segments that we can talk about, kind of break things down. Hit me with them, baby boy. What we're going to be starting with is Here the cranium it. corner. Here for it. Here for it. That's basically where we're going to be. <laughs> Max, are these all going to be bone puns? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Be beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so our four segments mm. that I kind of have uh, laid out are the cranium corner, the meta carpal, <laughs> the rib cage, and the humorous hankerings. So, okay. Do you have a special space where you come up with these called the punny bone? Oh, <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, no, I just come up with it with my coccyx. Oh, hey. It's got that big coccyx energy. Uh huh. So. Uh, the Cranium Corner is generally us talking about the episodes in general. Those are just kind of our general musings, our head-scratching decisions that we made that we want to ask each other about, questions that we have for the DM, Nick, or our fellow PCs. 
or in the future, if we receive questions from listeners, this is kind of where they will generally go. The meta, Carpal, is us basically giving props to our fellow PCs or to the DM about things that we enjoyed. Uh, talking, kind of talking about the game and kind of breaking that down more on like a, this was really cool type of thing. So like a segment that we won't use. Yeah, pretty much. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah, no, actually, it'll be just us uh, three PCs just complimenting each other and just never mentioning <laughs> Nick just, by name. We just say the title of the segment and then there's yeah. 30 seconds of silence every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Liza has a great personality. Oh, thank you. Yeah, great personality. Uh, looks, you can't nail them down. You know, you can't put them down. Yeah. Those shoes, oh my. So then the rib cage is basically us kind of ribbing each other. Uh, that is either going to be uh, listeners saying, what the fuck were you guys thinking in these moments? Or us asking... <laughs> the same or, questions of each yeah. other? Or yeah. us basically asking each other uh, those same things. And then the humorous hankerings are basically what are we looking forward to in upcoming episodes? Ooh, I like that. Upcoming things that we either don't know or moments that we're looking forward to that we have recorded that we're excited for other people to get to but obviously staying spoiler free and so uh we are going to be mostly sticking in the cranium corner today and the meta carpal for the most part so with that said if there is anything that you guys want to ask either the dm or your fellow pcs about the first three episodes what uh, questions do y'all have? I would like to go first if that's appropriate. Um, <sighs> I, I was when I asked everyone, I, I wasn't really thinking <sighs> you, Nick. But All right. I guess but he doesn't do enough, right? Like he yeah. doesn't talk enough. He <laughs> no. just has to be the first one. Well, you know, got, it's it's have, fine. Go ahead. There's a go big ahead. one that's been on my it's mind fine. ever since. Ever since I, I mean, within the first ten minutes of of us to of within 10 minutes of us recording. Spit it I've, out, I've buddy. I've just been wondering. Okay, Mikey, what the hell? Come again? I introduced this amazing cargo pants guy and you oh decide God. that you're him? God, he, 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 this is, he reversed reading <laughs> me on what I was gonna ask him about, which is like, <laughs> why are there cargo pants in this universe? Why are there cargo pants in this universe? I do not believe that Cargo pants are a new invention. That's it's impossible. Giant and, well, bags on the side okay, of your pants. Excuse me. First and foremost, you said cargo shorts, and we did categorically prove via Wikipedia, the most reliable source on the internet, that cargo shorts were not implemented until the 1980s. Okay. And therefore, check on check on Knuckle Bonesopedia. Uh, You'll find on Knuckle Bonesopedia that cargo shorts were invented in episode one by DM Nick. No, but I want to know is where in the timeline, like when man came to Arbalea, yeah. my, did my they question, have cargo is, shorts already? Yes. Was yes. this an adaptation to the area? Was this something that the, the locals had? Was the, the dwarves invent cargo shorts? This is 100%. Cargo shorts are a dwarven invention. They are <laughs> such a, they are a absolutely so pragmatic people. I think yeah, dwarves, I have big pockets for carrying all of your rocks. I know that, that dwarves are are for the most part representative Scottish in media. Dwarves are Germans. Let's be honest here, guys. So they have, they have incredible the engineering. All of the rocks. Yes. There's no way that I'm not going to have some goddamn pockets for my for my hammer, for my for my my nails. 
There's no way I'm what going to have. What miners carrying nails? Okay, sorry, pikes or whatever <laughs> they're called. Because they have to split the very large stone. And they have to hammer in the anchors, yeah? And so, then you hit them again, again, and again. And then split the big stone, it becomes little stone. Or cargo I, pocket. I remember my first cargo pan. You would call them the pebble pockets. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this tells me that cargo shorts have existed since the dawn of man in Arbalea. The, the thing well, the dawn me, of man, you mean the arrival of man in Arbalea. Well, it really depends on who you're asking. The dawn I, arrival. Uh, <laughs> the dawn but it sounds like if they are a dwarven invention, uh, that maybe it, it was around the time they invented those mini trebuchets called slingshots. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to invent, you know, the pebble pocket. Uh, exactly. For carrying I just I, look. It, look in real life. You cannot tell me. I get that. I understand what Wikipedia says, but there is no way that nobody invented cargo pants before whatever century you said. There's just no way. I mean, women's clothing- It's just a pouch on the side of your pants. I, women's clothing categorically for a long time historically did not have pockets specifically so women couldn't carry around uh, weapons and spells and potions and stuff. Still Basically, don't. Well, that's just which smart. Is, that's why women's clothes still to this fucking day never have funky functioning pockets. Like they're just worried that we're going to carry our hexes around. <laughs> they're worried we'll be too powerful. And you know what? They're fucking right. I see. I want to take a different line of questioning. Like Mikey is absolutely right. But look, the way D and D functions, right? Like the DM tells you a thing exists. It exists. Like it's, it's up to us to sort of piece it together, figure it out. So my question is really about the technological timeline. Like, we do have cargo shorts. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Canonically. 100%. Accurate. Okay. Yeah. But we don't have the equipment required to manufacture a cargo short. So, like, who's <laughs> putting these together? How do we. How do you I go walking? to the tailor I'm, and I'm request wearing them? Plate armor and a tabard and shit. I see. And there's another guy up. who just has cargo shorts and he, has, he ain't hollering <laughs> at me. The Dejimo family, zero pockets. You find it hard to believe that you could have full plate armor forged and crafted, but you can't sew a pouch on the side of your pants? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know why? 8,000 years of human history where one of those things existed and the other one didn't. Ah, but see what is unchecked here is the dwarven history. You didn't look into dwarven history. See? Well, and that's, that's what I want to know, right? Like, I want to hear your justification without, because uh, you're hitting me with some platitudes right now, which I see the panic in your eyeballs. <laughs> what the people listening at home can't hear is the expression on your face, which is, please don't ask me any more questions about these shorts. <laughs> which tells me I need to ask so many more questions about these shorts. What I will say about these shorts, clearly cargo shorts, clearly khaki, as you can imagine. I was torn between camo and khaki, but definitely khaki. Okay, I don't. I don't think that the origin of the cargo shorts, because whatever I say is unbelievable to you, matters. I I think that's why it matters. <laughs> For the sake of this segment, he stole them off a murdered dwarf. We're gonna move on. Hey, wait. Now hold on a sec, because Mikey didn't answer my question. And what was the question? What the hell, man? What I introduced this cargo pants wearing bard, and you decide that you're playing him. I mean, listen. I just thought that I was offering, I was yes ending. You were I, like, I, there's a guy with cargo shorts and I was like, surely he can't be integral to the plot. So I'm just gonna <laughs> jump in here. You're like, I thought it was a prompt, you know, like we're doing improv and cargo shorts and Bard were the two prompts I got. And I was like, all right, 
Here I fucking go. I'm a bard. I got cargo shorts, and I suck at my job. So Nick I, actually I do called love the me initiative. after this session. He was he was crying, and he said oh. that was my big bad evil guy, and and she just took him over, and, yeah, he was and now the the whole story's just gone. Yikes! I mean, if it's not the most D and D thing I've ever heard, which is ten minutes before you play, it's like, yeah, but like we're just collaboratively storytelling. Like, guys, just get in there and like <laughs> yeah. create parts of the world. And then he's like, here's an NPC, and you're like, cool, I'll voice him. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Do you think you fucking How are? How dare you put your words in his cargo pockets? <laughs> oh my god. All right, I, I got a satisfactory answer. Unfortunately, I couldn't provide one for Matt and Mikey, but... <laughs> I'm gonna, I will never receive an answer to that that I won't continue to grill you about, so really, we have to move on. I, I do appreciate the initiative, though. I thought that it was actually a really fun moment where I was definitely, like, taken aback. I didn't know how to react, but I have the faith and trust in you guys to play and make that something. Uh, so I was able to just sit back and have fun and watch it happen. I just want to bring to the table that uh, I was quite pleased with myself uh, in inventing the mobile cauldron call network and, uh, you know, giving us this this tool that I thought that Nick could uh, use narratively, you know, if he ever felt like we were going to get off the rails exposition wise, you know, Babatha and Blep are this kind of two two character duo to help balance out the, the party dynamics a little bit just because a three person party can be uh, a little bit harder I think to to build for and kind of scale things for mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, what I also thought that I was giving us was a I mean first I just invented the mobile call uh, but M-O-B-I-L-E-C-A-U-L uh, no, no, no cargo um, shorts, but we can have cell phones. Well, no, again, I I was yes anding, <laughs> right? Like if you were saying that we have fucking cargo shorts and player pianos, <laughs> but legit magic can't be used. Like if we can make sending stones, why can't I make a fucking cauldron call network? Like, I mean, this yeah, just yeah. seems reasonable I... to me. And it, it turns out that I can make a mobile cauldron call, uh, <laughs> But only once, and I will get nothing from it. And uh, fuck me and all of my ideas. One one is a million times more than I thought would ever get allowed. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I think it's really important, you know, in a situation like this to let the players, let your guys' intentions manifest in the game world, right? Like, I'm not bogging Mm -hmm. down by rules as written necessarily while things like this are relatively inconsequential, right? You're gather, trying to gather some inf- information as to what's going on, right? And so like, it's not game breaking to allow your intention to manifest in this world. And that's kind of my, that's the angle that I come at with a lot of this is, you know, the spells that you guys want to use in certain situations, technically, you know, we can put a question mark next to it, but your intention is one thing. And I like to, I like to play with that. I like to let what you guys want to do happen for the most part. Which I have played with you in the past where you have not done that as much. <laughs> so this was nice. I, I would say that was fairly, fairly helpful. Fairly uh, a good change of pace. Yeah, I, I mean, say... I, I think it makes for better, better narrative, better storytelling, yeah. better. Like if I was um, a listener, that's what I would want to hear is like, 
I don't need to stomp all over the players. Let's, you know, we're having fun. Having one cauldron call and having the consequence of the miniature cauldron melting adds a aspect of, in my opinion, listening back, it adds an aspect of this was such a intense event that happened that using that resource mattered in that moment right. to sure. Liza uh, and Babatha. Uh, yeah. or to the coven to Absolutely. try and gain as much uh, information as possible. So it, it's a burner cauldron. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I I honestly thought of it as almost a, a flare gun. Like you like have one shot in the flare gun yeah. going up and you get information back. That right. was that kind sense. of how I was hoping it would happen. Um, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I, I like that because that is what it was. Yeah, it, it seemed like a it was an emergency have, need yeah. for information. And we let someone know, and that's the whole thing. Uh, Nick, I don't know if uh, if now is an appropriate time for you to talk about if you have plans for the Coven and the role that they play in this larger world. Yeah, I'm definitely happy to speak on that. I, The Coven, in Arbalea itself, there is, you know, there's only a handful of factions that really have a big role in the world. And the Coven is one of the ones that you know, the Oath Knights control the military aspects of the world. They keep the peace. They're the good guys. Whereas the Coven is the source of magic in Madrigal. So they do have a big role to play. It's just a matter of finding out what that is and how that is going to show itself. So they, they do have a, uh, they do have a, a semi-prominent role to play. I have a question that I would like to know about the world in general that... I think we know as both uh, people who are taking part in the show and also people who have recorded many episodes after these three. And I just think it might be nice to explain something larger for the audience to be hearing so they understand context. When it comes to the Blythe family, them coming into power and, and holding power or in the city of Madrigal and then Arbalea in general, how does that kind of manifest in the relationships that they have with other cities? So we've got all those different cities. I, I kind of would like your your breakdown of the different cities. And also I would love for you to explain the color kind of coding concept of that because I just think that's a really cool world building thing. So... The Blythe family has always been, since their arrival in Arbalea, the group, the family that has been in power. We, we know that at this point. They've never not been in power. And a big reason behind that is because the citizens of Madrigal like this family, basically. This isn't like a corrupted kingdom. This isn't a place where there's shady goings on that nobody really understands and they're questioning the outcomes. This is a place where the Blythes came and established these these Crimson Oath Knights as peacekeepers, and people like it. People love them because they do good. They aren't bad guys. They don't allow that sort of thing to happen, and they basically stamp out anything evil as quickly as they can and keep things in good standing. And so that is the simplest explanation for why the Blythes have stayed in power, is because people approve of their methodology and tactics and their direction. 
the king the kingdom is relatively well off and it's never been in real peril and a big part of that is the the amity accord established peace and uh, trade all all sorts of the all sorts of things that the world needs to to turn and there hasn't been problems with it which is another big reason why the Blythes came to power in the first place like they established all of this and built it um the color system how do i describe the the color system it's you don't have to go super in depth i just think it's cool that like considering at least in a future episode we talk about how there is a coat of arms or like the color of a knight or of a warrior and they have the two colors on their on their clothes and that indicates oh where they are or like where they were based out of and i yeah, just think that's it's, really cool it's almost like a you know in D D traditional it's almost like a signet ring if you see somebody mm -hmm. wearing a certain color you can immediately tell where they're from um madrigal being the the central land in arbalea madrigal is red if you see a knight wearing a crimson colored cloak or breast piece you know that that is a knight from madrigal similarly you have emerald knights from delane and you have cerulean knights from astravale um, and then there's silver knights up in the north where in silverkeep is kind of elf territory and they kind of keep to themselves at this point they aren't a particularly social group so you're not really likely to see them. But essentially, yeah, these are other kingdoms in Arbalea that Madrigal is the seat of power on Arbalea because they're central. So anytime there is any sort of conflict or issue, the Blythe family, the king of Madrigal, can send Oath Knights almost immediately to anywhere. And mm. that solidifies their power on the continent. So Delane has its own its own king. It's a it's a region at this point in time, but mm -hmm. they have their own trade and economy and law and order, and it's it's based on how they opt to do it. However, if there is an issue, the Crimson Oath Knights are there to resolve it. So it's kind of okay. like there are, um, if we were to think of it, like the Crimson Oath Knights are kind of like the FBI, and then <laughs> all of the other yeah. Yeah. all of the other uh, Oath Knights are like. Uh, I don't know. Beat cops. Exactly. I wouldn't even say beat cops. I would say like uh, like state police. Like that's kind of the yeah. That's a that's a really good way of of putting it. Yeah, I think it speaks too to the to the power and yeah to the power of the king and his approval rating. Basically, that Flip, Babatha, and Liza are going along with this as well, right? Even these chaotic yeah. people are respectful and understanding that the king is a fair and just man. We should do as he asks and. Like that's something that I always wanted in this in this situation in this story is the king to be somebody that people like, which is really hard. I think I, I think I've said this in a previous thing where it's just like, as a person who does not trust authority, it's very hard for me to like buy into that. I don't really trust authority, and it's hard for me as a character to consistently just be in the mindset of like, yes, the king is good. But when it comes to like my interactions with Babatha, our relationship goes before this kind of party even joined so i i wanted to get your perspective mikey on just kind of when you were thinking of babatha as a character and you and i kind of fell into the idea of being in a coven together mm -hmm. i i wanted to know i want to know where your mind was at in terms of where this character was going forward and also in terms of our interactions kind of going into episodes one two and three there are a lot of moments where I feel like you drop little things 
that indicate like a larger backstory, which is kind of just <laughs> classic character development. So when you're in character, when you're uh, just as an example, you're hitting on Otis Thatherton, and you are. Uh, I think you also you're flirt so with someone salty, else. You're so salty, Max. You're so yeah. salty. I mean, hey, who can compete with swollen Wolfen? She's, she she tries to hit on the king. Yeah, yeah. You try <laughs> and hit, hit on the king, like. When you're in those character moments, kind of like, where is your mind going? Like, what is, what is it like to embody Babatha in those? Mikey, moments? before you answer this very thoughtful question, I just want to say in your defense, Nick, you did say the king, and I quote, "He works out. He keeps it tight." So you know, <laughs> right? I I felt like that was you know the the right call there. You know, it's really interesting because Babatha, uh, when I built her, I. I had this notion of someone that can uh, be deeply analytical and really uh, get hype, you know, put her hyper focus to work and uh, to solve the problem. But it's also by nature just this kind of really abstract and unpredictable character, which is then only further exacerbated by the fact that uh, while she's on this quest to figure out the next best thing, you know, whether it's the the next invention, the next potion, the next skill, right? She's always trying to figure out the next thing. And that means that she's always in a state of learning and she's always in a state of vulnerability and openness. And I think that she uses that as her same way of approaching people. So I think that she's, she, while she may respect authority and she may certainly recognize that there are kind of social and economic disparities between the different levels of people within the society. Uh, fundamentally, Babatha just sees a person. You know, she sees an attractive person and so she's going to behave how she would behave in front of a attractive person you know whether uh, whether or not that's the king or the stable boy or you know the barkeep like it doesn't it doesn't matter because she first and foremost fundamentally sees the the person and the kind of the soul behind it and uh so it's really easy for her those inner those interactions uh are really easy for her especially when she's getting real uh real hopped up on her her potions which i i should clarify here is not uh uniquely or expressly or even primarily the intention here uh but she does believe ethically that she should test things on herself and in the essence of experimentation you know sometimes those side effects are uh, pleasant and sometimes they're not so pleasant and you'll i think see that as we progress through the story that that uh, it's it's not only that, that less so that her carelessness goes down because it's not really about carelessness it's about maybe reckless courageousness in some sense uh, but well it's selfless it's selflessness that yeah. that as her skills progress allows her to become a little more down to earth and also a lot of crazy shit is happening and she's having to process it and I think she's realizing that. Uh, in order to process that, that means she actually has to kind of connect back with reality a little bit, uh, because as long as she's authored, she can't really make heads or tails of what's going on. I, I just like that you said, you were like, oh, uh, Babatha was just gonna react like the way she reacts in front of any attractive person. 
And I was like, you mean like a person that we can't tell if she's sleepy or strung out? Like a person who's like <laughs> testing potions on herself so hard that she acts insane all the time? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Having that not necessarily intoxicated, but just kind of that same inhibit inhibition of yeah. intoxication yeah, is just like yeah. constant. So you, basically, you're microdosing. That's what we've learned is that Babitha yeah. is just microdosing all the time. All the time. I think, I think Babitha might be macrodosing. <laughs> she might. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of... A little if bit of this, a little if bit of that. You don't know what's in the potion bottle. Can you microdose it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, that is the cranium corner. I'm going to transition us over to the meta carpal. Now we're going to give some props on the episodes that are uh, that we're breaking down, episodes one through three. And each of us are going to give some props. I want everybody to pick kind of like not necessarily their favorite moment, like funny wise or the best decision or just like including you, Nick, everybody who has like picked a single moment and try and keep it a little bit uh, like quick. If you guys, if you guys uh, need some time to think, I'll go and say mine. I, first. I have one actually. Um... Okay, go for it. You know, this might be that I most recently listened to episode three, but mm. there's this scene yeah. where, um, uh, and uh, God damn it, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say nice things about Nick and I hate it. Uh, mm. There's there's a scene where we're talking, we're talking to the king. I have to live with him. Can you speak louder and slower? We're talking to the king. More sensual. Is that better? Ooh, oh. baby, we're just breaking the town with the king. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I did one like a slow jazz thing there. I don't, I don't mean to derail <laughs> us, but I do yeah. love praise. Oh. We're in, <laughs> oh, just stretch it out, just fucking milk it, baby. Um, no, we're we're talking to the king, and Otis has his moment where he's talking about his companion who uh, passed away oh. in episode one. Yeah, that we like we had a little bit of a scene on the road, but you, I think you even say in the narration, you're like he starts to describe some stuff that he like didn't describe to you guys. And it was like the smell of the goblins and like the fury of combat. And like suddenly that shit gets like real. And it's sort of twofold. It was a really cool moment, I think for the show and for all of us, because we got to, we got to bring it down kind of, but like in a cool way, mm -hmm. which I know sounds a little counterintuitive. Usually we're trying to keep things kind of like light and tight, you know, but I, I really love that. Um, and then I personally got to interact with it a little bit because I felt like, oh, well, I have a little bit of a connection to Otis sort of like tangentially and like the, you know, people of similar sort of parentage and that whole deal. And like we're somewhere in the Oath Knight tract uh, associated with each other. And the sort of like, I think I said I like clasped him on the shoulder and, and I said some nice words and he says some things. And I was like, man, like hearkening back to the lawful good character thing, like being able to take that opportunity to like, uh, that's like paladin yeah, shit, yeah. right? Like take a guy by the shoulder and be like, it's going to be okay. So it's a brotherhood. Like, yeah, yeah. And like to yeah. embrace that sort of camaraderie with an NPC and to have them go through. You gave Creole inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's the next character. I'm... Just a bard. It's the exact same voice and concept, but all I do I'm, is talk. I'm not gonna lie. I got um, like a little bit of goosebumps thinking about that. Like when that scene happened, it didn't really no, strike me yeah. as like poignant, but like in hindsight. Yeah. I mean, you just had, that's how it was when yeah. I listened back to it. That's why I'm bringing it up is that like, yeah, I listened to it and I was like, dude, that shit hits, which is like, 
it was just really good. I really like that part. I, I also feel like it's that was really cinematic because yeah. to me, I saw like kind of a silhouette or a a profile shot of you see this person. They're really big. They're very striking. Very um, it, uh, imposing, and you see them like shrink yeah, you see yeah. their their yeah, confidence yeah, yeah. go away because they were their their dude was just killed and they failed to reiterate like this guy felt comfortable being vulnerable in front of the king yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that was really special too was like it it didn't feel like he was just reporting he felt like he yes. was sharing yeah and that That's was a really good word choice, You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Nick or Mikey, do you guys have your moments? Yeah. Um, so my favorite moment thus far came in episode one. Um, as a narrator, as a game master, there's so many things that players can do to totally take things off the rail, go in a direction that I had never expected. Um, and I felt like the one the one what? thing that I had control of in this episode Impossible. was the meteor, right? No matter what happened, that meteor was going to land. That was that is what starts us on this journey. And the moment that the meteor fell and you guys saw an echo crawl out of the crater. To me, that moment, like the music change and the the scenery of this like in the night this purple inky ether just mm -hmm. showing up and like shing drawing these uh serrated claws like to me that was just like i guess totally counter to matt's point like that was just like it felt so badass well i actually i don't yeah. even think it's that counter i think it's another great example of it comes after an hour and some change of us doing some slapdick <laughs> bullshit where we've been mm -hmm. we've been goofing and we're making jokes and we're having our fun and then you're like, hey guys, there are real yeah, stakes. Yeah. Like, button your pants back yeah. up. We got shit. We got the first do. instance you know? of you guys seeing an echo. That particular scene was for how long I had been planning what was planning this story. Like for that to finally come out was like, mm, ah, chef's kiss. It felt so good to me. So good. I agree with both of you in that it's both the complete opposite from the moment that Matt mentions, but it's also extremely similar in that it completely changes the vibe of the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. And right. I think just ha having that tempo mm -hmm. change has been really good. And I think, I mean, you've been really good at it uh, thus far. So that would be uh, props to you, dickhead. Mikey, do you wanna go? I'm uh, I'm having kind of a, a hard time. Um, look, hey, here, look, let me just help you out. Don't say one fucking nice word about Mike. Cause <laughs> oh, really, no. We're at 67% there. Yeah. And we can't, <laughs> we can't let him have a fucking hat trick. Right yeah, now. no, we, we can't absolutely not. Well, the reason that I'm actually uh, struggling is because, honestly, <laughs> I mean, my favorite moment is when Blep, steals Gaultier's drink uh, in the tavern <laughs> in mean, episode one solid. with his tongue. Um, that also, and my you know next favorite is just trying to figure out how big is a, a gross Swayze. Oh, wow, yeah. So I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious about my choices because I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to bring up 
these these things, these funny things, and now uh, now I'm feeling like, ah, oh, you guys said nice stuff, and I I'm just no. over here. No. <laughs> Never feel bad about bringing up what is the actual bread and butter of our show, yeah, yeah, right. which is stupid fucking jokes. So if you noticed, we forgot about those two things because there's so much slapdick bullshit. There's so much slapdick bullshit. We specifically bullshit remembered guys, the... I yeah, love the slapdick bullshit. Uh, and, we, and that's not that I don't also really deeply love, you know, the, the more emotional uh, and connection-based parts because I think they're great. And I, I felt really good, you know, about Babatha giving Sirotis a potion, you know, to like try to help him. Like I felt good about all of those little moments, but at the end of the day, like uh, the moments that make me laugh the hardest are some of the just stupidest ones and you know you asking how many Swayze's a roadhouse is is like such low hanging fruit and yet <laughs> if you asked me what joke I would make on this show that would absolutely not have legs and never get referenced <laughs> again and probably get cut it's that joke and, right and yet that's the dumbest just fucking and we, like we just couldn't stop doing it I we did just, it so many times after that that we forced Nick to keep it it just the the peak dad joke there was it, it just really set the bar i yeah, think yeah. for what to expect in our podcast and yeah. and i think that as much as we god i'd love for us to be that super high level professional podcast right where we're all professional improv and we've been playing together for a long time and you know we're we're not uh using blankets and pillows the sound dampening devices like i'd love for us to be at that level uh oh, but giving away the secrets. but i think the the reality is is what would make me want to listen to this show is this you guys right it's the same thing that makes me want to to play the game is is you guys crack me up you know you i mean that's you being matt and max not nick uh, you two. Oh, so close. Oh, that was a given. So close. Yeah, sorry. Just so close. No, but you two, you you crack me up and you both truthfully, Gaultier and Liza, set up so many moments that in some ways and I feel... And Otis. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I sometimes feel a little self-conscious about the fact that in some ways, while there are things that I know are, you know, pivotal core aspects about Babitha, she... It comes less natural to me, it seems, than Liza and Gaultier come to you two, or the way the blip comes to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, I feel like, and maybe that's just that, you know, spotlight syndrome. Maybe it's just me feeling like. Babitha is the uh, real sidekick here. Babitha oh. is the real sidekick here. <laughs> I really appreciate the way you play blip just because it is a consistent blep is is consistent i would say not that babatha isn't or not that galtier isn't or not that liza isn't but blep is like maybe it's just because he, the fact that he can't talk technically mm -hmm. like he can't speak common right so we so there is only so much you can really do with him and you describe him so well well that's he the, that's the good doesn't shit. speak common i feel like i should Oh, okay. Just say that. Yeah. Just, just so, a, little, a little asterisk just there. A little. So, yeah. I, I agree with I agree with Max though too. I think like Blep is the sort of he's literally a sidekick, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Written, who like could very easily fall into some real silly bullshit yeah. because like 
he's a little frog guy. With a giant he hand. Silly things. And it's like, you've, you've done such a good job of pacing those things out and only hitting, like you periodically remind us that his hat is roughly as tall as the rest of him, <laughs> you know? And things like that where we're like, oh right, it's truly ridiculous that he exists and is here. Uh, and everything he says and does is funny intrinsically because of that. But we, we don't hammer that home uh, too hard, which I feel like, honestly, if it were me, I would never stop talking about how funny Blev is, right? Like if it was my sidekick, all you would, I would just be like frog fact city over here, trying to pull some jokes out of it. Well, you know, uh, the, metering that we out pulled listeners so after episode one and they were really uncomfortable with me describing his sticky fingers. Uh, I thought, apparently that's just for uh, the knuckle boners group. Uh, so I'll, uh, I had to tone down that content uh, on the main feed. You know, um, if anyone ever asks you to tone tone yourself down, turn yourself up. Yeah, baby. Did you did you share uh, your I, favorite moment? No, I was gonna oh. get to it. We made Max. Yeah, I was like, did, did I already forget it? He, he volunteered did, to go first. And he, he said, <laughs> "Shut up, Max. Shut up. Go and laugh." No. Guys, if there's anything that you've learned about me so far, deferential to a fault. Max, so, I would love to know uh, what your favorite moment so far has been. Man, I can't believe you asked. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm a very thoughtful person. I, thanks, Nick. I, it, for me, it is a. You're trying to get compliments, Nick. <laughs> I, I the would. Fuck out of here. I would say, and it's there's one moment that's really small, really quick that I just I genuinely laughed out loud at, and it sounds really like narcissistic. But the whole Owen Wilson thing, where I'm talking <laughs> as as Owen Wilson as Otis, and I'm just like think of all the things I could do for you guys if you help me out. I just think it's, I thought that was really funny because it just came up out of nowhere and I forgot that it was in there when I was re-listening and I was like, what the fuck was I doing? Well, well and I, the other thing about that moment in particular is that like, um, we talked about this, I think in the F-Zero recording, um, about sort of like how we all got together and, and yeah. you know, Max, I don't, I don't know you as well as I know Nick and Michael in real life, you know? And I think that was like, that was the first or second time I'd heard you do that Owen Wilson thing. And it was just like this beautiful, like out of context, super funny take on that impression. You just like hit it right, the nail, like right on the head and then just like got out of there. And it like fucking murdered me. Like, I remember that being like a full on record stopper when you did it. Oh yeah. We were like, oh no, we need to time out from playing this game and talk for five minutes about why can you do that? Right. How long have you been practicing? Right. Why didn't you tell us about this the moment we met? How, yeah, how my mouth is like a cartoon character, how it goes all the way to the right side of my cheek. And like, it just yeah, d- doesn't hurt complete. when you make that sound. <laughs> yeah. But I will say oh, my incredible. actual like serious moment that I really liked, uh, we kind of rode into uh, the Slish and Slash and kind of having that scene split from the first kind of like introduction to Shevlin and then the beginning of episode three, being able to carry that energy from end of episode two to beginning of episode three and have a, what I thought was a fairly meaningful interaction between Liza and Shevlin. And Mm -hmm. I thought, Nick, uh, this is disgusting. Do it. it. Stop 
it. Stop. No, I'm sorry. I'm Damn. sorry. I Max. just muted myself so I could throw up. But I will say. Oh, it's going to be intolerable after this. <laughs> Nick, Nick, you played, considering that I kind of threw just out there, it was completely improvised that I knew of the Slish and Slash from my time in Madrigal. Oh, that's right. And I, was, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that was 100% yeah, off I, your dome. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. That was another really great player creation. Yeah, like I just I I was like, well, Liza was kind of a street urchin at the beginning, like of their teen years. So b being a street urchin in Madrigal, it makes sense that they would have tried to do what a, a lot of houseless people try and do. They find their restaurants that are nice, and will give them like uh, food at the end of the night. And so I was like, oh, this is a tavern. Cool. I might as well have a hook here. And you immediately slid in and did really well there. So that was um, that was a really good moment. And I thought it was very cool. So. And I thought the part <laughs> where uh, Liza and uh, Blip shared the spaghetti outside in the alley. <laughs> uh, and they both took a bite of the same noodle they didn't realize it and then they got they got so to the middle adorable. and then they and then they kissed they kissed we had to cut bit. that because it was too graphic <laughs> yeah after the kiss it got a little bit dark yeah they didn't <laughs> you didn't leave that in no 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 no, no. oh I'm sorry oh, no no well, that, that was I'm glad I, did, I mean that was my third favorite moment i'm glad i only gave two I, I'm just glad that it's not that uh, you guys were all laughing while she was saying that, and I was like, that didn't happen. Am I in some sort of like fucked up alternate universe where she went out with a frog and we just never talked about that shit? I mean, because, like, I have opinions, you know. <laughs> and yeah, incest is fully, fully normalized in this yeah, world. But, yeah. yeah, but not cargo shorts. Uh, oh God, not incest, bestiality. Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, look, uh, to be fair. What's my brother? <laughs> we didn't know that changelings and grungs were the same thing. Grungs are basically just the tadpoles <laughs> of changelings. <laughs> they grow up to be anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. I think we're going to call it. Uh, thank you for giving your guys' recaps. Thank you for giving your thoughts on these episodes. I want to yeah. just visit because we only, we really only stayed in one of your segments. So I just want, That's I want to bring the rib cage out for just like 15 seconds. Oh, Jesus. Would love, just look, I know we're, we're at the top of this recording. We've, we've had laughs. We've had a great time. We've talked through all the apps. I just a real quick oh, entry for the rib cage. I just want to say, Nick, cargo shorts in this world are the stupidest fucking thing that I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. And I'm going to die on this hill and I'm going to use every segment and I'm going to twist every segment into giving you a hard time about this shit. And just wait, guys, for future episodes of the X-Ray where there are more anachronisms for us to pick on. Also, uh, my rib cage is that um, who was the king's right-hand man? Corvin. Uh, uh, Sir Corvin canonically was not referenced as Natalie Portman. We're that just, is a problem. Big yeah, missed we're opportunity. Sorry. Yeah, huge missed opportunity. When we meet them again, it will come up. Yes, Natalie Portman <laughs> is in our show. Uh, uncredited, uncredited cameo. Uncredited cameo. That would be so funny. <laughs> if oh, if we just paid for a cameo. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Mikey, Mikey, do you have a rib cage? 
I mean, ev- I everyone know. has a rib cage now. I mean, I do. I mean, listen, I know that I've got a lot of health problems, but missing rib cage is blessedly not one of them. Well, I've I've got a quick rib cage, real quick. It's a nice little jab at all three of you guys for just being too damn good. You make me look bad. No, <laughs> oh, he was all nice about it. Fuck off, Nick. We're still gonna be mean to you. Nick, you don't need us to, <laughs> for you to do that. Yeah. Oh. oh okay. <laughs> Get him. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I gotta no, go. That that is nice, Nick. I appreciate it. But do know that you're my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thanks again, y'all, for listening. We just want to warn you, like we did, I think, at the top of this episode, that we're going to be treating these shows kind of like leveling up, really. So it's they won't be happening every episode. They won't be happening every three episodes. It's just kind of going to be milestone-based. Uh, we're going to be a little sporadic on the release of these. So stay, uh, stay tuned, and you'll kind of get the feeling of when we're going to release one of these and we'll let you know ahead of time too. So, uh, since this is going to be kind of extra content, milestone based stuff, extra, extra stuff for us, we are probably going to be posting content like this to a Patreon that we plan on launching soon. Uh, I know that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but you never know. And we figure we might as well have it there, uh, and have the infrastructure rather than being behind the eight ball. Uh, we realize that your podcasting time, crazy valuable. There are a lot of really good shows out there and we really appreciate giving, uh, you giving us your time. Uh, so thanks again for getting your x-ray with us. Have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks again for listening. Thank you. Catch you later. Love you. Bye. Bye. Your results are in. You are not the father.